welcome to another episode of Hashtag SM Life. My name is Morgan Zupanski and I'm going to be your host. Today, we are talking with Meredith Greenberg. She is a stage manager currently based in Los Angeles, California, and she is an amazing mentor. So today, we are going to talk all about mentoring and being a mentee and what that relationship is like, some of the things that you might come up to when you're mentoring someone, how to approach that, some tips and tricks, and so much more. So let's just dive in. Hi everybody, welcome. Today I'm talking with Meredith Greenberg. Say hello. Hello. <laughs> you said say hello. I, <laughs> I follow direction. You did it well. Okay. <laughs> okay, so Meredith is awesome enough to talk with me today. Uh, Meredith is my primary mentor, I would say. She's kind of been there since the beginning and has been there the whole time, which has been amazing. Uh, all three years of it? All three years. <laughs> three plus years. Um, so first and foremost, tell everybody uh, what you're working on right now, what you're doing with your time right now, whatever that answer is. Um, I am the chair of the Department of Theater and Dance at Cal State Los Angeles, um, which is my primary day job. I mean, that's my full-time, ridiculous 47 hours a day day job. <laughs> um, I'm gearing up for the Spotlight Awards at the Walt Disney Concert Hall in a couple weeks. And we're in pre-production on Into the Woods at the Hollywood Bowl in the summer. Hair flip, no big deal. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's just start at the beginning. Let's talk about how you learned what a stage manager was, how you got started, and let's just talk through your timeline. My lord. I was, uh, I was a musical theater performance major at Emerson College. Mm -hmm. uh, for about two weeks <laughs> until until I realized that everybody else was really good. Um, and then I thought, well, I can't, I don't want to do that. So I'll, I'm going to be a director. <laughs> and I did that. And then I realized that there was nobody organizing anything. And uh, I was very good at that. And I started doing that organizing thing. I didn't know what it was. I was <laughs> like, I'll be your organizer. I'll handle the schedules and I'll take all the notes and I'll do all that. And they were like, oh, you'll stage manage. And I was like, oh, whatever. And I did. And I did that all through school. And I did that in the summers at the Boston Public Theater. And when I graduated, I moved out here thinking all I'm going to do is theater. I'm not going to do anything else. I'm not going to get a job at the Blockbuster or the Warehouse Music Place. I'm going to... That was, that was the thing, Morgan. Don't <laughs> laugh at me. It was a thing. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it was a thing. It wasn't fast food. It was like retail. Okay. Um, but... Uh, I did, and I came out here, and I was a prop master, and I was assistant schlep this thing from the parking lot, and I actually watched parking lots for a while. I was like the don't sit on the cars people, um, and then I uh, I was an assistant stage manager on a show, and the stage manager fell out of the booth one night. It was one what? of those little theaters. It was one of those little 99C theaters. It was I used to have nightmares about stuff like that. It was the Coast Playhouse. Where you had to climb up the ladder and then swing It's a straight-up ladder. It's a straight-up oh, no. ladder. And I was backstage doing something, and the stage, I heard, oh, my God, help! And I was like, oh, my God, what's going on? And I came around the corner, and he was lying on the floor. He had fallen off flat on his back and was lying on the floor, and they, like, took him away, like, in an ambulance. And, 
And they were like, so, okay, you need to call the show now. And I was like, what? Okay, I'm good. And, and uh, he never came back. And I stage managed that show. And then that show turned into something else that turned into something else. And I kind of never looked back from there. But I was, I did 99-seat theater in Los Angeles for, <laughs> don't laugh, for, for four years straight, like, scrounging for job to job and you, it was always great because you'd be in rehearsal and you're not getting paid at all and and that was great because we had the day free and nobody thought about the fact that we just were poor and living in Hollywood with seven people <laughs> in an apartment but um I did that until I finally got a job as a PA at the taper um and I went from being a PA at the taper to I stage managed a little show for them at the taper and I stage managed. A little show for them. No, it was the a taper. little show. It was a little show. It wasn't at the taper. It was at the taper two, which no longer exists, or, or it does exist, but it's not called that. It's the, it's the little space that's underneath the Ford Amphitheater. There's, there's a, a space under the Ford Amphitheater. Yeah, there's a there's a small, black box. I don't know if it's a black. I don't really? know what it is. It's a small theater underneath the Ford Amphitheater that the taper used to use as an auxiliary space. Oh, cool. And they called it the Taper 2, T-O-O-2, like also <laughs> the Taper. Um, and it was John Fleck's A Snowball's Chance in Hell. Uh, he was gearing up to do, we did the sand tour. We went from that, we did the sand <laughs> tour. Have you ever done that? Mm-mm. San Diego, Santa Barbara, San Francisco, Santa Monica, San Pedro. You did like, it was like <laughs> the sand tour. It was the sand tour. It was like the Southern California the sand coast. tour. Yeah. Um, and I did that. And I assisted at the taper and I was working for Reprise, Broadway's Best, the first iteration of Reprise, which is kind of like encores in New York. Yeah, if we have to compare everything to New York. Um, (laughs) And then, and I was doing that and I was also working at Deaf West, which I guess was probably like the biggest part of what I did when I was younger, when I first got out here, which is that I, I know American Sign Language and they had just started. Deaf West Theater had just started, and I worked every show for them for like six years while I was doing reprise and working at the taper and doing, that's what you do, right? (laughs) And um, I got my equity card with with Phyllis Freelich's one-woman show. Phyllis Freelich is a deaf actress, and she did her one-woman show. We started in New Mexico. Don't ask. We started at New Mexico (laughs) State University, which was awesome. And then moved to from New Mexico State University to the Kennedy Center. Oh, sure. That's a very natural. It was a natural progression. Wow. And I got my equity card on that. Of course you did. I did. Oh. And, um, and then came back and did a couple more shows. And then Reprise did a production of Sweeney Todd with Kelsey Grammer and Christine Baranski and Neil Patrick Harris, and Ken Howard, the white shadow. Do you know the white shadow? You don't. You're a Canadian. <laughs> Crazy Canadian. Um, anyway, and it and Dale Christian and Davis Gaines, who were the Phantom and Christine here oh, in yeah. LA forever and ever. So Reprise did that, and they wanted to do it not at UCLA, at the Fruit, where they always did their shows, but with, they rented the Amundsen. And Actors' Equity was so <laughs> kind as to give them a concession to only have one ASM. What? Yeah, at the Amundsen. Because it was a staged reading, which had no books and no reading of any kind. Mm. But I was the only ASM on that. And the stage manager was Shari Schenker, who was the production stage manager for the LA Opera. And I was her assistant. 
and we did that show and I still own the shoes that I wore on that show because they have big holes in the bottom of them because the one ASM ran back and forth from left <laughs> to right at the Amundsen and they have big holes in the bottom of my shoes, which I, I usually pull out and show people, but I don't know where they are. Um, and at the end of that contract, Shari said to me, so have you ever done opera? And I was like, ew, no. And she said, do you want to do opera? And I was like, ew, no. And she said, what are you going to do? And I was like, well, I have this gig as an ASM on whatever show was coming up at the taper at the time. She went, great, here's the contract that we use. And yeah. here's how much it pays compared to your contract <laughs> on, on that little theater over there, the taper, right? And I thought, oh, I, I like opera. And I had mm -hmm. no interest. And she said, well, do you read music? And I went, mm, I have six years of high school oboe playing in the band. <laughs> sure, I read music. And that turned out to be one of the biggest lies I've ever told. And I didn't even know it was a lie because I did read music. You know, I was a musical theater performance major. <laughs> um, and I went and I did a show at the opera. And then I did another one. And then I did three. And then I did... An, anyway, it was, it was kind of awesome to to move into something completely different. And I realized very quickly on that first show that I didn't read music, like in quotes, <laughs> read music the way that they read music at the opera. Um, but I learned after six, six, five, six years uh, how to do that. And um, yeah, so that's, I did that. And then in the middle of all that, one of my good friends, Steve Rothman, got hired as the chair at Cal State LA and called me and said, we need a production manager. I've I've worked it into my contract that that if they hire me, they have to hire a production manager, and you should apply for the job. And I did, and I don't know why I did. I mean, I do know why I did because he he on a napkin one day at lunch worked out uh, if I was there, if I was at Cal State LA for thirty years, here's what my retirement package would look like. And just like when Shari laid out the cost of <laughs> the salary for the ASM at the opera, he laid that all out. And I was like, well, how do you say no to that? Mm -hmm. So I applied thinking this is ridiculous. I was a terrible student. When I got the job as an assistant professor of theater at Cal State LA, my college roommate burst, in, burst out laughing and hung up on me like, ha ha, <laughs> that's a joke. Um, but I did. And I've been doing that now for it's going on 19 years that I've been at Cal State LA. What's yeah? That's a long time. I know. I had to stop doing a lot because the job at Cal State was a full is <laughs> like it's gone, <laughs> like it's gone away now. Um, it is a full time job, and um, I have to. I have to, for me. I have to keep stage managing because if I'm really gonna teach stage management. Like, I can't be like, oh, yeah, but I haven't done it in 10 years. That's ridiculous. Agreed. If I if I had stopped stage managing when I got the job at Cal State LA, I would not know how to teach email. Oh, right? interesting. Yeah. Like, we we used to, I remember the my first uh, show at the opera, we would email the rehearsal notes within the company but there was no way to email outside of the laopera.com or whatever it was. So the people that you had to copy on rehearsal notes that were from the music center entity, you had to print those and put them in an inner office envelope and, and slide them under their door on your way out of the <laughs> building. Um, the first, my first shows at the taper, um, the 
ASM, so the stage manager took notes in the rehearsal room and then handed those handwritten notes to the ASM about an hour before the rehearsal was over or a PA and that person would go into the production office and you had to get there before the other show did because there was only one Apple II computer that you could use and we would type up the notes and then, and it wasn't even like Word or Excel or whatever. There was just like word processing <laughs> and and then you'd have to print them out and copy them on the copy machine and then there were mailboxes by the front door and you would like slip those rehearsal notes into everybody you had to like you know make 35 copies and put one in everybody's mailbox nope (laughs) but if I had stopped when I got the job at Cal State I would not be able to how do you teach that yeah how do you learn how do you keep learning and growing and doing and I mean the the you know I ran sound cues on QLab on my laptop in the rehearsal room last summer that was the first time I've ever done that but I teach it all I teach the students how to do that well not how but that they could do that sure so you know it becomes it becomes kind of it's not hypocritical it's just like strange to not have ever done the things that your students are now doing so I try really hard to keep doing it but I have had to cut back immensely so when you started working at Cal State LA did you were you always teaching the stage management class yeah Yeah. and so how has that class changed for you I mean, other than email, obviously. The very, so the person who taught the class before me had a very different way of teaching stage managers. There was no problem with them coming in and yelling and telling the actors exactly what was going to happen. And there was a list of rules that the stage managers kind of laid out. And we were still in the land of your sound cues have to be in a box that is one inch by one inch and written in colored pencil. And there were all sorts of rules. And I walked into that first class of like 15 students and and I was like, hi. And they looked at me, they didn't know who I was. And they weren't freshmen, right? They're not freshmen. They were like sophomores, juniors, and they were terrified. And, and I was like, so how are we doing? And they were like, whatever, what do we have to do? And do we have to stage manage? Because we don't really want to do that. And I was like, what? So uh, I spent the first year and a half, two years, like trying to get them to not be terrified. And I, and I was wrong. I did, I did some really, I did some bad things to those people because I, kept, <laughs> I would tell them that, that no little children are going to die if you call that sound cue wrong. Like, if you call the light cue a little late, it's not like there's going to be, nothing's coming out of the sky to to kill you if you do that. Or nobody's going to get hurt if you, all right, so you were a little late. And then I realized that, wait, they might. <laughs> because what happened after that first year was they got pretty lax um, about things. Mm-hmm. And they were like, yeah, whatever. So I called it late. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, that people do care if you, they care. It's just not the end of the world. And I had to find that balance of don't be terrified to do this, but you can't be complacent. Mm-hmm. You have to you have to actually do the work to get it done. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So um, the class has actually evolved into more more discussion about soft skills and how to deal with people than I thought it would. I thought this was going to be a class about paperwork and. <laughs> And how to put your book together and, you know, what, what color post-its do you want to use? Or I thought that was going to be what the class would evolve into. And it's really evolved more into how do you talk to other people? How do you, how do you get 
done what needs to get done with difficult people in the room? Um, how do you get done what needs to get done with your friends and your peers in the room? Um, how do you navigate the politics of working with directors and designers and technicians and leads who are your colleagues, who are your faculty, who are getting paid to do what they do and you're not, you're just a student. So it's become more about the politics and the navigation of interpersonal communication and, and whatever other words you want to use for that. But <laughs> it's become more about that than it has make your book pretty. Mm -hmm. So when did mentoring become a part of what you did at Cal State LA? Because from my perspective, like, I mean, I obviously think of you as a mentor, but I feel like you mentor anything that moves in that building, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> so, you know, and like the students, when they're assigned to stage manage the shows, you're obviously there because you're the production manager, but then you're also giving feedback and you're supporting them along the way. And there's lots of like closed door meetings where people ask you why are things so hard and you and tell cry. them because you make it that hard. <laughs> but like, when did mentoring become a part of what you were doing? I think from day one. I think any faculty member who's doing what they are being paid to do um, is mentoring mm -hmm. from day one. I don't care what you're teaching or, or in what department or program you're teaching in. I think mentorship is always part of that. But certainly with students who walk in, not everybody, Morgan, is the, <laughs> is the self-assured, outspoken extrovert <laughs> that you were on the first day. You know, not everybody is like that. Most of my students question everything that they do. Did I do that right? Did I do that right? Am I doing this right? Should I do this? Am I even supposed to be here? Why? Am I? They question everything they're supposed to do. And my job as a mentor is to help them realize that the answer to all of those things is yes. Hmm. Yes, you're doing it right uh, for right now. Yes, you're supposed to be here because that's your job or because you're meant to be. And it's okay if you do it wrong this time because you're going to learn and do it right the next time. Maybe, maybe you'll do it wrong again and then you'll learn doubly how not to do it again. So that's the mentoring part. The class is easy. The class is here's what you need to do. Here's how you talk to people. Here's how you listen. Respect, respect, respect. That's the class. The mentoring comes when they're actually in the theater and, you know, a director snaps in their direction you know, needs something taken care of and kind of tosses it over their shoulder in their general direction and they go, oh my God, that person hates me. And I'm like, no, they're just, they're just busy <laughs> and they're trying to get you the information as clearly as they can. Um, that's where the mentorship comes in is when it's single issues, personalized issues, specialized issues, whatever they are that are one-on-one -on -one that I can't teach in the classroom out of a book. Mm-hmm. You know, every, every show, I, I always, every show is different. Every director is different. I don't care if you're doing Lab OM for the fourth time. Every show is different. Every director's different. Every show has different needs. And you're not going to know how to do what that director needs only based on what you read in a book. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. I still hate that answer. <laughs> I just want to know what's right. But there is no right or wrong. Ugh, I know. But you know that because you were an actor and there's no right or wrong. Yeah. It's always about choices. And what choices did I make? And did that choice work 
well, that choice, that choice maybe worked this time. So I'm going to try that choice again. Oh God, that didn't work. Um, how many times do you work with directors who, who you go, oh, I've dealt with this before. I know how this works. And you do something based on what you did the last time because it worked. And the director goes nuts. <laughs> why would you do that? And how could you do that to me? And why would you ruin my show like that? And you're like, oh, okay, maybe that didn't, maybe that wasn't a textbook right or wrong answer. I don't think there are any. Yeah. <laughs> Fine. So what do you think is the hardest thing about mentoring students specifically? Sometimes you just want to say to them, could you please just trust me and trust yourself? and stop questioning everything. Like, you're fine, just do it. Um, but of course you can't do that. Although I do do that. I do that. I, I kind of get to the point where I'm like, I'm done answering your questions because I've answered the same thing four times. Yes, you did the right thing. Yes, you should do it again. And yes, you should email that person and let them know whatever it is that you're asking me. Like, it, it's, mm -hmm. um, for me, it, that's frustrating. And maybe I'm just getting old. <laughs> But I feel like, I feel like sometimes lately, like students aren't listening. They just need to, if they could just listen and accept that you asked a question, I'm giving you an answer. You may not like my answer, but I gave you the answer and asking me again, the same <laughs> question is not going to get you a different answer. I have 12 year old twin boys, so they do the same thing. They do the same thing. Can I, can I do this? No. Like four minutes later, can I do this? No, what like do you're you a magic get the first eight ball, time? Like, give me a different answer. I want a different answer. Um, I, I actually find it difficult to mentor when students really don't want to be doing what they're doing also. So I work really hard to make sure that the opportunities that they're given are, are moving them in a direction that they want to go. Like I, I had a stage manager this past semester who really wants to be a lighting designer. That's what she wants to do. So when we started in tech for her show, I was like, watch what the watch what the lighting designer, Karen Lawrence is an amazing lighting designer and she's an amazing mentor for our students. And I said, watch what Karen's trying to do. Listen to how the director's talking to her and telling her what to do. And you know that when she changes the counter, she picks up that you know other light and adds it to it. You know why she's doing that because you know the lighting side of it. Mm -hmm. Now figure out how as a stage manager, you can help Karen by calling the cues the way she's hoping them to happen to help the director. And that for her, I think really moved her into being excited about calling the show. Mm -hmm. She was uh, the kind of stage manager that <laughs> forgot to call half hour sometimes or, you know, didn't check the on stage preset because her ASMs were doing that. So why did she need to? There were other things that she wasn't altogether attuned to. Mm -hmm. But boy, did we never have a burnout during the show. Like we, if something was burned out, it got changed right away. And if something didn't look right, she made a note of it and we looked at it. Like there were, she had uh, an agenda and that was okay. And it was easy to, to help her remember the other stuff. So you have your students and you're mentoring them and some of them don't want to be stage managers, some of them want to be actors or light designers or something altogether, or they're a theater minor and they're really going to go work in the government or something. And then you have the special people like me who really want to be stage managers, right? So how do you decide to invest extra time in somebody? Well, I, I have some 
students who decide they want to be stage managers who I'm like, yeah, they will. They will be stage managers. They will do that. I have some that I'm like, hmm, okay. <laughs> I, I Sure, we can work on that. And then I have some where I'm like, oh, okay. And we can work on that because I have to because that is my job is to, is to mentor. Um, there are students that I have to say, sadly, I have said I can't. And, and I invest, I in, I'll invest in anyone. I'll invest the time. I mean, I'll invest, I'll give you some money. I'll invest the time in any student that says they want to do something mm-hmm. until they don't keep their end of the deal. Like the deal is I'll invest the time, but you kind of have to invest the time as well. Mm-hmm. And you can't say, I want to do this and then not show up for my class or be late for rehearsals. Like that drives me crazy. You know, that it's like I'm putting in the time. And how do I know you're late for rehearsals? Because I'm here at the beginning of your rehearsal at seven o'clock in the <laughs> evening when I got here at eight o'clock in the morning because I want to make sure that you have whatever whatever you need mm-hmm. and everything you need. And the fact that you walk in late and I'm the one who's here, it doesn't work that way. So it's sad. And maybe you shouldn't <laughs> use that because I sound terrible, but whatever. No, you don't though. You sound honest. <laughs> which is pretty real. Well, and it's funny because I so I started as a stage manager at Cal State LA with you, and you were the first person to really introduce me to stage management or teach oh, me what Because you were was. an actor. I was an actor. <laughs> <laughs> and then decided I wasn't going to be. And I thought everybody was going to be like you. I yeah. thought like everyone was going to be so nice and share and be friendly and give feedback and make space for me to make mistakes. And then would come back to me and be like, cool, try again. And like not hold it against me. And then, you know, like went out into the world and like did some 99 seat theater, which was great to like fall down in those smaller spaces. Right, because it's not like anybody's making space for you to make mistakes. (laughs) There's just not anybody else there. Right? You know what I mean? Yeah, like nobody (laughs) saw. Nobody saw what happened. And that was great in its accidental kind of way. Right. And then and then went to grad school and met a bunch of other teachers and a bunch like had a bunch of other mentors and, uh, you know, worked with a lot of other students and quickly realized that, like, nobody else had mentors in my grad school program. Like they went to grad school to get a mentor. And I was like, oh, I didn't I don't I don't know what that's like (laughs) to not have one. And then realized very quickly, like, oh, the way that. Meredith mentors me is not necessarily the way that anyone else is going to mentor anyone else. Also, wow, she's so awesome because she answers all of my phone calls. <laughs> and also most then, of the time, most of the time. <laughs> and then and then we started a part of the grad school program at UC San Diego is that we teach an undergraduate stage management class. And we essentially become mentors for any of the undergrads in that program that want to look at stage management. And I instantly was like, wait a minute, I'm still learning how to be a stage manager. I don't know how to mentor anybody, nor should I. And then I was like, okay, channel your inner Meredith. What would Meredith do? (laughs) What would she say? And you know, what's funny is the thing that I, the very first thing that I promised myself I would do if I was ever mentoring anybody was I was going to make space for them to be mad at me and not like what I was saying and to make mistakes and to like yell at me and leave the room and then come back the next day because I feel like you did that for me and (sighs) so great (laughs) didn't even realize how much I needed it but like would be in a completely different space if you hadn't had that space you know what I mean and I have watched 
so many people make mistakes and then other people are like, cool, like we're done. And I'm like, oh no, I, I think you have to be in it for the long haul if you're going to do it. For sure. As long as you're doing the work and as long as you're putting in a hundred and well, it's a stage management gig, so 180%. Like as long as you're doing that, I can't imagine someone not wanting to help or not wanting to, to have you succeed. I mean, we all want the show to succeed. So we carry each other when we have to, Mm -hmm. you know, and we cover for each other when we have to. Um, And I think that's part of what makes working at a, at a company, at least for me, at the size of the companies that I'm working at now, that's what, that's what makes those work. You know, it was funny because when you said 99 seat theater and you're like, you're, there's nobody else there. How many shows did I run where I was running lights and sound? I maybe had an ASM slash prop slash hair and makeup slash costume person in the lucky. back. If you're lucky. Yeah. And it was like, and, and by the way, I also uh, opened the doors and tour tickets on my way to calling <laughs> the house to half. But there was nobody else that maybe the producer would show up every week at some point yeah but it sometimes was like me and eight actors and a costume person and that was it in the room so if you messed up it's like who's gonna tell you the actors and yeah they do actually they tell you a lot (laughs) but then but you never but at the LA opera you're never in a room with less than you know 25 other people who are there watching what you're doing yeah you know, or, or at the Hollywood Bowl. I mean, forget about it. There's just, there's just so many people around. And um, I like how we can do things at the school where there are now just so many people around. I think that's great. But I also think it's important for students to be left alone to do. I think that sometimes the mentoring has to do with as much as you're hovering over them as you are stepping away and letting them do the work they need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I I know that where I was at the beginning of my career at Cal State, if I had a student, and they always do, who would get upset or cry or sit at the tech <laughs> table and freak out, I would hover and say, what do we need to do? How do we need to fix this? What do we need to do? And now when I see them doing that, I say, take a moment, step outside, come back when you got your stuff together. Can you say, can you say shit on a... Yeah, yeah. you can say shit. <laughs> get your shit together. <laughs> And come back and call the show because that's your job. And for me as a mentor now, that feels more right. It feels more right to let the student get their shit together and come back and do their job. Now, if they're losing it completely and they're a puddle on the floor, then you need to do some more helping. Mm-hmm. But, but for me, sometimes the hands-off and letting them work it out with the designers and the director, who are the people who are there in the show to get them where they need to be, is the better way to go about it. So, uh, for all of the up-and-coming stage managers in the world that are looking for a mentor, how would you suggest they find one? There are, there are, you meaning the ones who are like coming out of undergraduate school or just like... Or anyone, into- I mean, well, because like I can tell you, because like when people ask me that question, I'm like, well, go find whoever's teaching stage management at whatever school you're in and make them your best friend. Like the day I met you, I was like, you are never getting rid of me, (laughs) Meredith Greenberg. I'm I'm here forever. 
you know what I mean? Like, that's what I tell people is like, or, or Google whatever thing you really want to do. Like if your dream is to stage manage at LA Opera, like find out whoever the PSM is and like Google them and then like make, meet that person and like make that person your friend. Sure. But sometimes you really don't know who that is. And by the way, sure. that's such a new, I mean, not new, like, you know, today, but like when I was a young stage manager, there was no Google. I, know. I used to send out letters like with a stamp. Like on a envelope? Do you know what that is? Yeah. You know? Okay, I'm just checking. Snail mail. Snail mail. All right, great. But you couldn't just Google, you know, Center Theater Group and find Jimmy McDermott's name. You had to. You had to actually. I don't know. I don't even know what you had to you know, go to the theater and look at the program and see who was there. Well, that's what people used to tell me. They were like, well, when I was looking for a mentor, I used to like go to Broadway, like to the backstage doors and knock on the door and security would answer. And I'd be like, here's my resume. Could you give it to the stage manager? I've never done that. Well, but no, because like, now they'd like block the door and exactly. bar you and call the police. It's like, no, no, because that package what's inside. Yeah, right? Yeah. There's yeah. none of that. Um, yeah. You Google and you email and there's nothing wrong with cold emails. I mean, I'm... I'm not, I have no issue with like etiquette, with like email. Like, go ahead and cold email somebody and tell That's them who what you I'm are. Saying. I get shamed sometimes for that. Like, people look at me like, what did you do? And I'm like, cool. I didn't know those people, but I really wanted to meet them. And so I just reached out. And like, the worst thing they're going to do is say no. But or sometimes, ignore it, right? Or ignore it. But sometimes you get to shadow on the Today Show at five in the morning when you're in New York City. Mm hmm. So maybe it's okay. Mm -hmm. But some people think that's really bad etiquette. And I actually don't know why that's bad etiquette. Are you not supposed to talk to people you don't know? I don't get it. Yeah, no, that's not that's <laughs> not a thing. Um, I think that I think that there are certain schools. I mean, not to not to plug where I work, but what we the faculty have at Cal State LA that not so sure that people get everywhere is we're all working professionals. And yeah. we all want our students to leave and work. So we are one-on-one -on -one personal trying to figure that out. There are some, I went to Emerson College, and there's a huge alumni network at Emerson College. And you could probably pick up the phone, or I guess you don't have to pick up the phone, just send an email <laughs> and, and say, I went to Emerson, I saw your name in the alumni newsletter, and I thought I would reach out to you and I would love to meet you for coffee sometime. Like, I think you can do that if you have those networks. Um, and I just don't think that there's anything wrong with doing that with people that you don't know as well. Um, but when you're looking at schools, like if you're looking at undergraduate schools, like mm -hmm. please go. Don't just cold, <laughs> don't just like cold apply to colleges and like travel hundreds and hundreds of miles to go to school and then show up and have it be not the right place. Go and visit and you can get a good sense of who the people are there by how they respond to you. You know what I mean? If you if you call and they put you in touch with the people who set up the tours for the university and then you have to make an appointment and you have to wait and then you know, some something doesn't feel warm and fuzzy about that. Do you know what I mean? But if you yeah. can go in and chat with people and talk to people and they're willing to take you on a tour, they're willing to let you sit in on classes. We have people who come and sit in on classes a lot just to see like, should I come here or not? And uh, our faculty let people do that. And that for me is a great sign. And I think that at least the people that I know that I'm friends with who are faculty at other universities, they're totally going to do that. Mm -hmm. And those are the places you want to go because those are the people who are willing to talk to you and therefore maybe will be willing to mentor you when you show up on their doorstep, telling them <laughs> you're going to be your best friend and never go away. <laughs> 
Well, okay, so then what about people that have that are out of school but maybe are moving to a new city or you know, like maybe they're they went to school on the East Coast and then they've moved to Los Angeles or they're in LA already and they're stuck in the 99-seat theater world, or they're stuck in theater, but they want to break Some people opera. want to be stuck in like, the 99-seat Well, <laughs> no, but like, not like in one specific place, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, I did it for a while, like, I totally get the value in it, but like, what would you say to people that are stuck somewhere, or they feel stuck, even if they're not, mm-hmm. and are looking to move forward into something new? Right. I think that, I think that stage managers that are working now, and I don't care what level they're at, I don't care if it's the smallest of, you know, the Gardner stage had used to have 14 seats in the theater. <laughs> don't don't start because it was a lovely gig. How do you make money in that? I don't care, but I know that <laughs> I used to be, I used to be handed a $20 bill and I used to go buy a big block of ice and a roasting pan and we had a fan and put the big block of what? ice in the roasting pan and put the fan behind it. And that was the air conditioning in the theater. Wow. Don't, don't even. And by the way, that's where I was working when I got the call from the taper. It's like, do you want to come in PA? And I was like, yes, really please, dear God. Um, but, but I don't care if it's that tiny little theater or you're working at the Met and you just want a change of, of area or yeah. place or you want to move. Um, everybody who's working, I, I won't, I'll generalize. I will totally it, generalize. I think that we're all open to answering that call or answering that email. You know, I've done it. I've I have literally cold emailed the stage manager of whatever show is coming through the Amundsen, and said, "I teach stage management, and I have fifteen students, and they would love to meet with you. Would you give you know? Do you have an hour of your life in the middle of your? Oh, I'm on the road. I'm on tour. I'm in <laughs> rehearsal every day. Blah blah blah. And they do, and they will meet us, and we'll sit in the lobby of the Amundsen, and they will chat with us. I don't know those people. Sometimes I have a connection. Sometimes I don't." Um, I tell my students, just call and see if you can observe because a lot of people love that. They think that's cool. Um, I take people with me all the time to the opera or to the bowl and they sit and they watch the shows. You know, they, they, I think that most people who are working right now understand that they're not going to live forever and we (laughs) need a young group of people who can come in and take over or come in and be an assistant or a PA or that's where you find people. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think that social media has given opportunities to people to find groups of people who are like, like the group, like the LA stage managers mm-hmm. or whatever you, what is it? Yeah. LA stage managers LA Facebook stage page. page. And then there's like stage managers in opera and there's like stage managers in opera in LA it's stage managers in opera in New York. And st- there's like all yeah, you know, stage so managers in teeny tiny little theaters stuck in Los Angeles with dogs. <laughs> I mean, there's like, there's all sorts of Facebook groups. And I think that if you can find those, um, and, and start sort of jumping in on that networking train, that's so easy now. I have a student who decided in her last semester, actually like the last month of her last semester as a senior, that she was a sound designer. And I see her posts on technical theater jobs in Los Angeles. She's like, I just got this job in the show and they want me to do this and I have no idea how to do this. Anybody have a clue? And people answer her. (laughs) And she's basically putting herself through, you know, social media graduate school as a sound designer on the kindness of strangers who actually are answering all of her questions. Yeah. So I find that there's plenty of ways to find a mentor, even if that mentor is somebody you've never met, 
and it's just somebody online. That sounds kind of creepy and solicitous, but but yeah, I think that there's I think that there are ways to do it now, and I think that those people who say they can't or say they have no idea how to do that, those people are not the people I want to hire as my assistants. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. So if you are someone writing a blind email to somebody that you don't know that you want to shadow, what should that email look like? Should it be long? Should you tell them your life story? No. Should you get to the point? Like what you know what I mean? Like what what it's like a cover letter. Like what do you do? What what do you write? Well, it's not a cover letter, right? So a cover <laughs> letter is very specific to sure. a specific job. But if this is like I'm trying to break into the business, I just arrived in Los Angeles, I just graduated from X place or whatever, and I've heard about you or I've seen your name on Facebook. And I don't know if you ever make any time to, to have coffee or, you know, would love to take it for coffee or tea or whatever it is that you like and, and just pick your brain. I've answered those. Sometimes I'm desperately horrified that I've answered them and how it's gone because it's somebody <laughs> who literally is handing me their resume trying to get a job. Yeah. And that's not where I am at the moment. Like I have no, like, what am I going to get you a job? Thanks. Go. Yeah, I have students. Um, but, <laughs> but. I've had some really wonderful conversations with people, young people who then go off and do whatever it is they're doing. I and we all know somebody. Mm-hmm. We all know somebody. Maybe the 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 kid coming out of high school who's moved to a different city and switched to theater or or just decided they want to do it. Maybe they don't know somebody, but we all know. We're all eight degrees away. I know it says six, but I don't like six. Sometimes it's eight. (laughs) Sometimes it's two. We're two degrees away from knowing somebody. Mm -hmm. Open up LA stage managers (laughs) and look who the admin is. And it's, oh, it's Morgan Zupanski. Hey. Hey. And now I'm going to, now I'm going to look at Morgan Zupanski. She went to Cal State LA and San Diego. Oh, she must know who's the person who runs the program down at San Diego. Oh, I'll Google that. Oh, it's Lisa Porter. Oh, so now I'm going to go and say, you know, I saw your email or I know that you run this program. And all of a sudden they found people that way. Yeah. Okay, so I want to go back for a second. So uh, because there's something that you said that I found really key in that I get really irritated. This is just my pet peeve maybe, but I get really irritated when people reach out to me and they're like, I want to learn from you. I want to have coffee with you and just talk about how you got to where you are today. And then I show up and all they really want is a job. They could care less about who I am. I don't need you to care about who I am. But if you want a job, ask for a job. If you want to know about something, ask for that. Like I always have felt very get to the point. (laughs) Sure. Sure. I, well, yeah, I can equate it to students who come in for advisement, right? They want to know, what classes they should take next semester. And my my heartfelt response to them is, when you looked online (laughs) for what classes you should take, because that's all there, what did you find and what are your questions about those? Mm -hmm. And what I find most of the time is that they didn't look online, they haven't done any homework, they haven't figured out what they should be taking. There's a thing that tells them. They just plug in their name and it says, here are the classes you need to take. And what they're coming to me is for me to do that for them. So, so if you if you want a job and you if you're having a hard time and you don't know how to get a job in theater in Los Angeles, you've just arrived from I don't know, pick a school, any school, pick a city, any city, 
you've just arrived and you need a job. Well, my first reaction is going to be, seriously, you moved here without knowing how to find a job? Like, that's crazy pants. <laughs> um, but, but you also, if I Google right now stage management jobs in Los Angeles, I'm going to probably first I'll find your Facebook page, yep. right? And, yep. then, and then I'll start to find, you know, backstage jobs in theater. I'm going to find technical theater jobs in Los Angeles. And I'm going to, like, all mm -hmm. with one Google click that, by the way, my 12-year-old could do. If I ask my 12-year-old to find a job right now in theater, he could probably find a job. And if someone comes to me and says, I just don't know how, like, I'm not so sure that I'm going to be excited about having coffee with that person. Um, if that person says, all right, here's everything that I've looked at, and I don't know what these theaters are, and I don't know who these people are, and how do you, how do you sort through that? That's a cool question. Like, I'm ready to answer those questions, you know, or how did you get where you were? And do I start at... Center Theater Group, or should I start at maybe the Hollywood Fringe Festival? Like, where do I start, and how do I do this? Um, I always love when they come and they ask me, like, should I go to grad school, or should I get my equity card now? And I'm like, why? Did someone offer it to you? Like, <laughs> you were offered your equity card. You obviously know people. Like, you obviously know somebody. So, so I just whatever you're gonna do, and however you're gonna reach out, whether it's a cold reach out or a or a, I don't know what it's the opposite of that's like dry tech. Is there a wet tech? Like it doesn't make <laughs> um, But like if you're gonna cold reach out to someone, please know who you're reaching out to. Don't oh, just be like yeah. yeah, like you have to oh. Google that person because if you're like I I've had people who contact me and they're like all I want to do is be a stage manager in television. Can you help me? And I'm like have you even saw have you seen what I do? Because that's not what I do. And there are people who do that yeah but you called me and that's just yeah I'm really busy this week sorry so for people that are mentors and that are having a hard time balancing between honesty and kindness how, what would you say you know what I mean because like I feel like I have a hard time between like I just want to be really honest with you in this moment and I'm so like oh but you're crying ah uh, <laughs> You know? I do. It's so, hard. Mentoring's hard. Being mentoring, a mentee is hard too. <laughs> mentoring's hard. So so being a mentor for um, a mechanical engineer who works for JPL who's having a hard time on the job today is probably a lot different than mentoring a stage manager, a young stage manager who is having to balance paying their rent and their bills and their car insurance, I guess that's a bill, but whatever. They're, they're all those things, especially in Los Angeles, right? You need a car. You yep. can't really get a job as a stage manager in Los Angeles unless you live down the street from the theater without a car. Um, a lot of people use public transportation, and that works great until the rehearsal space isn't available, and they're going to move the rehearsal to some other space that, yeah. that you can't take that bus to. So, But anyway, they're, they're trying to juggle all of those things. While being paid, what now? Minimum wage? If they're lucky. If, yeah, well, don't get me started on that whole... <laughs> don't get me started on 99-seat theater and minimum wage and getting paid. But yeah, if they're lucky, they're getting paid minimum wage. So now you're dealing with people who have to get a day job to make the money in order to pay their rent and their bills and all of that. And you're no longer just mentoring a stage manager. You're mentoring a person who's dealing with some really heavy life stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I always felt I was lucky. My dad lived out here. 
And when things got really bad, I would go have dinner at my dad's house. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? That is the dream. Like my parents, so my parents live all over the world. They move every two years. And I've really not lived in the same country as them since I graduated high school. But I have always dreamed about being able to be like, my fridge is empty. I'm going to go to my parents' house and have dinner and they'll do my laundry and it'll be for free. Like that's the My dream. dad never did my laundry. He would give me every, if I, if I came, <laughs> if I showed up with my laundry, he would literally get in his car and come back 20 minutes later with a roll of quarters and be like, go do your laundry. But, but no, but I did. I, I was lucky. And I, by the way, I'm lucky now. My mom lives eight and a half minutes away from me. And if I have an issue or if I don't want to deal with my 12-year-olds, I can have a place for them to go have dinner or for them to go and sit and play on their computers over there. Um, but a lot of people don't have that. And when you're mentoring young professionals, especially stage managers, especially theater people who don't have a standard full-time job with benefits... Mm-hmm. you know, and a parking sticker that gets them free parking. You know what I mean? They, they don't have that. So you're mentoring people who are, who are dealing with these giant issues. And that gets really hard. And what it does, especially because of what we do, because of what we do, it builds up. So that designer who's having an issue and those two actors who are fighting and that director who doesn't know what they want because they can't articulate what their concept is. And your ASM who's unbelievably wonderful and great and doing everything. And that other one who just sits there and doesn't even bring their script to rehearsal, like they're having to deal with all of that. And the fact that they're sitting in this rehearsal room, loving what they're doing for the past four hours, but they haven't paid their rent in two weeks and their car needs a new, whatever those things are inside cars that need to be (laughs) replaced. And do you know what I mean? Like there's all that other stuff. So a lot of the times the crying isn't about, or the, the upset isn't yeah. about the one who doesn't bring their script or the director who can't articulate or that it's, it's more of a, of a frustration with the rest of their situation. And sometimes you just have to take a deep breath and look around and realize how good you have it, <laughs> how good you have it in your life that you're happy enough to be sitting at this counter with this microphone and having this conversation <laughs> instead of standing at Walmart checking out groceries and be patient with them. Yeah. Yeah. All the things. <laughs> All those things. And that's really hard. It's really hard. Yeah. Well, and also, right, like, on the one hand, I always text you and I'm always, when I text you. Always. Always. always <laughs> I'm like, ah, like, things aren't working out or, like, this isn't going well or I'm so unhappy. And then I'll call you the next day and be like, Thanks for answering my call yesterday. And by the way, I love everything I'm doing. This is the greatest job ever. This is amazing. And I couldn't be here without you. You know what I mean? I always feel a little bipolar and like well, yeah. how I talk to you. But it's like the perspective and the patience is it's what your patience with me is what allows me to like have my meltdown moment. And then the next day be like, oh, but I still want to keep doing this. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try again. We all have our world problems whether they're first world problems or like, or third world theater. I'm in a, I'm in a dinky theater on Santa Monica Boulevard and that guy who lives outside the back door, it just peed on the door. And what are we going to do about it? Like, that's a problem. Like, (laughs) Oh, I love 99 C theater. Um, but, but we all have our different problems. They get, they get better. 
and it has nothing to do with age and it has nothing to do with experience, but it gets better as the theaters get larger and there's more support staff. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like the stage managers sitting in the uh, production office at the LA Opera today are not having the same issues that the stage manager whose show at the complex in Hollywood is about to close next week and they don't have the next show. Yeah. It's just it's just a different problem. By the way, not that the problems are any more important. They're just different problems. You know, the 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 biggest problem was always that the, the production office for the LA Opera is in the basement of the building that we share with the restaurant. And every once in a while when they throw out all the bottles from the bar, it kind of smells funny and maybe there's a fly or two. <laughs> and that's the problem. But you know what? As I sit at my desk that everybody gets with my computer, that everybody gets and a telephone with my extension that I get to put my own voicemail on and the drawer that says things that stick and I can pull, I can open the drawer and take a post-it and I don't have to go buy it. Like every once in a while you have to think about how good <laughs> you kind of have it as opposed to the stage manager who's still carrying around a tackle box with the only supplies that they're going to get on that show that they had to buy themselves. Yeah. So, so again, it's, it's a matter of perspective. Okay, so a couple more questions. If you could go back to your baby stage manager self, what is one piece of advice you would give yourself? Trust yourself. Trust your instincts. If your instincts say, don't, don't do that. <laughs> like, I just got offered this really cool thing and it just sounds really cool, but there's just something about it that's striking me as, mm. um, yeah, you're probably going to get screwed on that. So trust your instincts on those things um don't make stuff up what? so so as the as the chair of the department right <laughs> right now so uh -huh. for the last two years i have been trying really hard not to lie about anything and i don't mean like big old lie i mean like don't make stuff up if i don't know i say i don't know uh -huh. if i say let me find out i follow up and i try to find out and i have found i I, when I was a young stage manager and someone said, oh, why aren't we doing that? I'd be like, oh, because we decided it wouldn't be good to do that because for whatever it was. Sure. And I got caught in those sometimes because I'm not a very good liar. And <laughs> like, no, let me, let me rephrase. I'm a really good liar, but then I can't remember what the hell I said. Mm -hmm. So I get caught because then they'll say, tell me again, why are we not doing that? I'm like, uh, what did I say? So I try So now... As the chair, if I just stay honest about everything, then I'm not going to have that problem later. Um, <laughs> yesterday, I told a story to uh, Steve Rothman. I told my, my best friend uh, a really long five-minute rambling story about something that happened earlier in the day. And in the middle of telling him that, three people came into my office and I was trying to get stuff done and then oh, and I kind of was talking and I don't really remember what I said. And then we hung up and about two hours later, he called me back to ask me a question. And I was like, oh my God, let me tell you what happened to me this morning. And I proceeded to tell him <laughs> the exact same story that I had told him before. And when I finished after about four minutes, he was laughing so hard. I said, what are you laughing at? He's like, you don't remember that you already told me. Now, by the way, I'm not that old. It was just because <laughs> I, I was busy. 
<laughs> you looked at me like you're old. No. Um, I was just really busy and I forgot that I told him. But he was laughing and he said, you just told me the exact same story verbatim <laughs> that you told me earlier. And I'm just, he was laughing because it was the exact same story. He's like, you even made jokes about what you were talking about at the same exact places. And I thought to myself, well, okay, I might be losing my mind a little bit. And I might be just really busy and stressed out and need to take a break. But I didn't lie about it. Like, I didn't make anything up. I didn't embellish the facts. Mm -hmm. Um, And therefore told the same exact story exactly the same. And I think that's really important. You're going to get asked questions like, um, where's that red sweater that we had yesterday? Why don't we have it today? You know, and the answer isn't, oh, because I, that was the sweater that the costume designer gave us. The answer is really because I lost the red one and I don't know where I put it. And that's, do you know what I mean? I've done that too, right? Um, So be honest because it'll save you. And God, it saves brain space too. Like I made up that story about that and I have to remember that. And I made up that story about that. Like don't do that. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Don't be too cocky about things. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't know everything. I'm not talking to you, although <laughs> well, I'm talking like, to you. Excuse me. <laughs> no, but like, you don't. You just yeah. you don't know everything. And you go back to, because every show is different, and every person's different, and every every experience that you have is just going to be different. Mm-hmm. Um, working at the bowl every summer for 12 years, you deal with, you deal with really big names. You know, like whether it's Jerry Mitchell or Susan Stroman or Neil Patrick Harris, like you're dealing with big names and you're dealing with people who know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And what you, I know what the answer is. Don't second guess people. And you start to second oh, guess when you're too cocky about it. Yeah. Like, don't think that just because this is the way we always do it, that that's the way that Susan Stroman wants to do it. Because Susan Stroman has done this a lot. This is not her first beer and she's going to say to you, that's not the way I want to do it. And I appreciate that you at this little theater, the Hollywood Bowl, is how you do it every year. But this is the way we're going to do it now. And you have to be okay with that. And don't say it in the first place. Let let the let the show lead you in the direction it needs to lead. And I, I started to say let the director lead things in the way they want to do it. But sometimes it's not the director. Sometimes it's the producer. Sometimes it's, it's the actor. Sometimes it's whatever and whoever is leading the ship at that time you have to sort of listen to them see where they're coming from where if they're they're being obnoxious or angry or or stressed out what's making them that way and how do you fix that how do you how do you try to so you can't fix like if they you know had a fight with their significant other on their way in that's not to be fixed (laughs) but but you can make a space like you said earlier make a space for everybody to have their own issues Mm -hmm. and and just guide the rehearsal, guide the performance, guide the whatever it is in the way that is best for the production. Yeah. Yeah, and don't second guess. Have the ans- have the questions ready on that first day. How do you like to take breaks? When do you like to take breaks? Do you want me to call the break? Do you want me to just tap you when you have 10 minutes left and let you call the break? Like, how do you want to do that? That was something that you taught me actually uh, in your undergrad class that to this day is one of the best things I've ever learned is to make, sh- make time to check in with people before you start a rehearsal process. Mm-hmm. Because every time I do it, I mean, everyone's always surprised. Whenever I ask them for a new stage manager, I'm like, cool, can we get coffee beforehand? And you can tell me like, 
what it looks like when you're stressed out, how I make you happy, you know what I mean? Like when you need support, what does that look like? You know, what do you really need me to do? What are you feeling like you, why did you hire me? Like, so I can make sure I'm really honoring that. Like people are always so caught off guard by me wanting to make space for them to tell me what they need from me. And I'm like, oh no, it's the greatest thing ever. And it serves me every yeah. time. I think it's important. And I think it's important with your, with the people you're working for, with the people you're working with, with the people who are, it's just everywhere you go. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be a sit down, serious conversation. What no, are your yeah, expectations? Not at all. But to have a list of like the things that you know are going to happen in rehearsal. Mm-hmm. You know that we're going to come up to 80 minutes and they're going to have to call a break. So how do you want me to do it? You know, or how do you want to do the end of the day? How about, how do you want me to, to tell you when you've just staged something and they're doing it completely <laughs> different than what you said? Do you want me to open my mouth? Do you want me to pass a note to you? Do you want me to, I had director, I have a director who uh, says, just, just put a post-it that says 10 minutes on my book. Yeah. And then you do that and they're like, why are you bothering me? Like, what is that? What is that <laughs> thing? And they're like, they take it off and they stick it back on your thing. And it's like, no, you just told me to do that. <laughs> so I think it's like, all right, what else? Last question. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're like, okay. Uh, what do you think the hardest thing about being a stage manager in Los Angeles is? Well, you need to qualify <laughs> that. What do I think Why? the hardest thing being a young stage manager who's working show to show in Los Angeles is? What do I think the hardest thing about being a production stage manager at Los Angeles Opera making $1,900 a week is like, what's the, what's the comparison there? Like what, what's the hardest, the hardest thing is always not having a job, not having the next job, not knowing what your next job is. That's the hardest thing. Well, sure. So the point is really just, thank you. Thank you very much. I love that I know you. So the point (laughs) is really just that there isn't much of a difference between freelancing in New York, freelancing in Austin, freelancing in Los Angeles, because at the end of the day, it's about getting a job. It's about getting a job. I don't know because I've never done, I've never freelanced in those places. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes. sure, there are specifics of to course. each city, but at the end of the day. You're another day older. <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the day, it's like, what's my next job and where's my next job coming from? And um, maybe it's easier in New York. Because it's the land of theater. But I there are hundreds of theaters in Los Angeles. There are hundreds of them. And they're there it always surprises me. Someone was like on Facebook, they're like, Oh, I just did I just finished a show at the blah blah theater. And I'm like, I have never heard of that before. <laughs> ever. And I thought I knew everything, you know. But and it's not just like person I've never heard of on Facebook. It's like a designer that I've worked with, you know, numerous times who just finished a show at X theater, not circle X, (laughs) not the X gang theater. Like there's all those, but it's amazing to me how much there, there is work, how the amount of work that there is in LA to do. Um, I always said I wasn't going to go to New York. I'm from Philly. So I grew up back East. So it was like, New York was like that place that you went to go see big shows <laughs> and I know there's all sorts of theater in New York but when you grow up outside of New York City you don't know that um, and I always said I'm not going to go back there until until I have a job and a place to live and I did I got a show and so I had a job and the show the show transferred to New York and it was point of origin Los Angeles so they paid my housing 
and I got a per diem. And it was awesome. And I spent like four months in New York on Broadway, although it was at the promenade. So it wasn't a, it was an off Broadway theater, but the address was Broadway. So I always said I was on Broadway. Um, but, you know, it's the same. It was the same. It was different people, but they were all doing the same things. The word go doesn't change between New York and LA. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. everything. Yeah. There wasn't a whole lot different between what I did there and what I was doing here. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. It's the, it's the, where's my next job coming from? Where's the next show coming from? And if you're not in the New York Broadway click, I assume it's just as hard to find that next job as if you're in, if you're not in the center theater group, you know, uh, Giffen theater click in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. I think there's tons of opportunity here in LA. I think there's tons of it. I think people just need to look for it and find it and be prepared to maybe change your thinking about what you are doing. Because stage managing for theater is one thing. And then there's opera. And then there's the LA Phil that does all of these theatrical pieces. And they're hiring equity stage managers or AGMA stage managers or whatever they are. Or not union stage managers because they don't do that in some cases. (laughs) But it's like... There's all these different places and all these different things, not to mention film and television, which is pretty much everywhere now. Yeah. Um, so, so you have to sort of open your mind a little bit. And maybe that's an L.A. thing. We know how to open our minds. Well, like, plus dance, plus, oh, plus all the dance. special events, plus, sure. like, like, we could go on and on and on. For sure. And those are everywhere. Yeah. And they're everywhere. But, but they're definitely prevalent here in L.A. Everybody's, everybody's trying to be seen. You know, and then maybe that's a Hollywood thing, right? Everybody's trying to be seen. Everybody's trying to be heard. So everybody's doing stuff. And that all needs to be managed. I lied. That wasn't the last question. Okay. So just to follow up to what you just said. So I want to tie it back to like all the social media stuff. Because you're right. Everybody wants to be seen all the time. And I was talking to uh, my friend Mandisa, um, a separate podcast, about this pressure that we feel with social media to make it look like we're busy, right? Social media is whatever impression you want to give people of what your life looks sure. like, right? So then, you know, there's all these great Facebook groups and there's all these different ways to build networks and to find jobs. So how do you feel about people that post on those groups like, hey, I'm so-and-so and I don't have work. I'm looking for a job. Like, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Because I go back and forth about it and I can never decide if it's how somebody's posting it or if it's the fact that like, Asking the world for a job isn't doesn't mean anything because you're not like if you want a job, ask someone for a job. Don't ask the universe to give you something. I don't know. That's just me. Maybe. How do you feel about it? Yeah, I don't know. That's like standing on a street corner and saying, "Lost my job." What you know? Yeah, like give me a job. (laughs) I deserve it. Like there's a lot of people looking for jobs. What kind? What do you want? Yeah, I'm not so sure how I feel about that. And I don't. I mean, I see a lot of that. I see a lot of that, and I don't know. I don't know if that's helping people. Right? Like, like I just don't know. It's not something that I like. I've never opened up Facebook and saw I'm I, I just finished a show, kind of sitting around looking for something to happen, and and I've never been like, oh, what can I do to help that person? <laughs> like that's not ever been something that I've thought about. So I'm not so sure. There are job message boards that you can go to that have listings. There are people like you who post, you know, 8 million jobs every week mm-hmm. that you can read and post. 
you know, and post your, your resume and see if you can get a job. I'm not so sure that just kind of cold calling the universe <laughs> through Facebook is the way to get a job. Because after a while, how many of those have you done and how many different sites are you on? And then people are going to start to go, oh, look, there's Morgan Zupanski needs a job again. Woohoo, <laughs> there she is. I, you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm not so sure how much that helps you in your career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for doing this with me today. Oh, this was fun. For anybody that wants to follow you on social media. Why would you want to do that? <laughs> because you're cool and we love you. And you're interesting. And you're about to do this amazing show at the Hollywood Bowl this summer. And I'm sure Now I'm people... obligated to like post things about it. The last post is you from the You asked me fall. why. I'm about to tell you why. Because people want to know what it's like to stage manage at the Hollywood Bowl on something like Into the Woods. Okay? It's going to be cool. And you should post about it. So for anybody that wants, that's going to be sitting and waiting and wants to see stuff like that, what is your Instagram handle? It's at mgreenb5. Morgan taught me how to do that. <laughs> she like, turned off the recording and told me how to say that. You nailed it. It was I so good. It. And okay. you, honestly, if you, if you search Meredith Greenberg on Instagram, I'm sure you would find her that way too. I have a headset on in my picture. So how can it's you? It's very stage manager like. It's perfect. <laughs> Well, that concludes another episode of Hashtag FM Life. Uh, by now you know the drill, but just in case, a few things before you go. Make sure that you rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening to it. It's going to help other stage managers find our show. Also, make sure to click subscribe so you see the new episodes as they show up every week. This podcast is presented by the Stage Managers Association. If you want to keep up with the SMA on social media, they have all the socials. They have Twitter, they have Facebook, they have Instagram. Definitely check them out. Also, if you want to keep up with me on the socials, you can look for me on Instagram at Morgan underscore Zupanski. On this week's episode of Hashtag SM Life, you heard from Meredith Greenberg and myself, Morgan Zupanski. Thanks again for listening and stand by for more episodes soon.